This is Echozoe Radio, episode 142 for February 2020, with Bob DeWay on Ephesians. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 142 for February 2020 with Bob DeWay. Bob is a theologian and preacher at Gospel of Grace Fellowship Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's been preaching through the book of Ephesians and returns this month to discuss the theology expressed within it. Show notes for this episode are available. You'll find a basic outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures referenced that come up during the show, and links to additional resources, and you can find that at echozoe.com slash 142. No video for this episode. Believe it or not, video is a little more complicated for me when my guest is in studio. So maybe I'll get something worked out for future in-studio recordings. But uh, for this one, it's going to be audio only. But with that, I'd like to welcome Bob DeWay back to the show. So thanks for joining me, Bob. Uh, It's great to be here, as it always is. So you have been preaching through the book of Ephesians lately. And uh, when I asked if you'd want to come back, you suggested it as a topic and... uh, been quite excited about the theology that you've been digging into. Yes, I'm very excited about Ephesians. And one of the key topics in Ephesians is the church. And as I've been going through Ephesians, now I've been doing this for over a year, and a sermon maybe ends up being two or three or four verses, depending on how many concepts there are in those verses. But one of the key themes is the church. And so I want to talk about how we see the church defined in some important topics in regard to the church in the book of Ephesians. So uh, because you've only preached through four chapters so far, not all six through the book, we're, we're kind of focusing just on those four. Well, and then we only got an hour. And so. we've only got an hour, so yeah, that four might be a challenge. Um, can we start off with just kind of a broad overview of of Ephesians. Okay. Well, what happens in Ephesians, now Paul's in prison when he, when he writes this. He's been there. Ephesus is an important place in the Bible, obviously. There's a lot that happens there in Acts. Paul then later in prison writes to Christians in Ephesus and later, yet again, writes to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. So this is a key place. And the interesting thing about Ephesians is that Paul is writing to a church that's comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And what I've found as I've been preaching for a long time now through Ephesians is how emphatic Ephesians 2.15 is in regard to the theme of Ephesians and especially the last half of the verse where it says so that in himself he may 
make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And reconciled, verse 16 says, them both in one body to God through the cross, having it, excuse me, by it having put to death the enmity. And so this ended up, and I wasn't expecting this, but as I've really dug into the Greek and drilled down on what's in Ephesians, this one new man is very, very important. And the reason it's important in regard to the church is the fact that if you look at it on the surface, especially with the backdrop of the book of Acts and what all happened there, synagogue Jews with the law and pagan Gentiles in Ephesus who were used to the temple of Artemis and every other kind of pagan religion are about as incompatible as any two groups of people <laughs> could ever be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strict moral code of Moses, the Sabbath keeping, the food laws, all of that kept the Jews unique so that they would carry forward the seed promise so the Messiah would come. Mm-hmm. But now in Messiah, God is taking people from both camps, Jew and Gentile, and making them into one new man, which is the church. Okay, Now, for that to happen, a lot of things have to change. Number one, the Jews are going to have to accept the fact that they're fellowshipping with people that if their past is anything to consider, totally incompatible. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, the Gentiles who are used to pagan deities and every kind of uh, immorality that was rampant in Asia Minor that they would take as no big deal would be utterly and should be utterly abhorrent to the Jews. And how is it going to be that they're going to be together, uh, actually for eternity, as the people of God under Christ? And so that's so important, and that helps us understand a lot about Ephesians and how it starts with the eternal perspective you see in chapter 1. Then chapter 2, you have the essence of salvation, the cross, and by by grace through faith, how people are saved and entered a church. And then as he goes forward in chapter 3, um, he's talking about the church and God's intent and Paul's own ministry and the purpose of God through the saints. And mm-hmm. then the ministry and the equipping the saints in chapter 4, all of this is applied to this one new man. Furthermore, this is so exciting to me, as you think about the man, okay? In fact, I was just doing radio earlier today with our pastor uh, under another context. We were talking about just a couple of verses which, which talk about that we all may be the mature man, come to the maturity of the one man in Christ. What is this thing about man? Well, the backdrop goes all the way back to Adam, where sin came from. So uh, the old man, the old self, is grounded in Adam. And that's true for both the Jews and the Gentiles. They came from the same place, which was dead in sin, Mm -hmm. even though culturally they were so different. And so the old man, ultimately, there's echoes of Adam, the dead sinner, hostile to God. 
But, of course, there was the seed promise, and Messiah is going to come. And so the one new man is in Christ, the last Adam. Okay? And so we're growing in maturity into the image of Christ, and that's going to be the mature man. So that is a theme in Ephesians. So what about the church? And that's really what I think is uh, really exciting here. Well, I was going to say that's, it's I picked up on your excitement in that regard. And as I, you know, casually just sit down and read Ephesians, I don't quite see him defining the church, you know, as you so excitedly proclaim. And, and so I'm kind of eager to hear how you explain that. And Okay. Well, let's get started with chapter one. Yeah. Okay. The interesting thing about chapter one, often in systematic theology, we drill down on ideas like the eternal counsel of God, mm-hmm. God choosing people for salvation from before the uh, foundation of the world. Yeah. And, and those issues which are debated, they have been throughout church history. Mm-hmm. But what I found out when I sat down to just study this in the Greek and understand how am I going to preach this, one of the things that really stands out, and I, and I want our listeners to note this, is that the main part of Ephesians 1 is this thing that's called in the Greek eulogitas, which means to, well, actually in English we have the word eulogy, mm-hmm. but here it means to speak uh, and bless God, to speak about God's character, his promises, his nature, his mighty deeds. And it's the type of literature you find in the Old Testament. Yeah. Okay? In the Old Testament, it's called Barakah. And there are psalms that are Barakah psalms. They're about, bless God, blessed be God, for he has. And then describing. Kind of, kind of doxologies. Yeah, what he did, mm-hmm. how he did it. Yeah, doxology is a good word. Because what you'll find in Ephesians 1, as I just laid the thing out into Greek and I was looking at it, was there is a phrase that's found three times in verses 3 through 14, which is the content of this uh, uh, barakah. Let's call it the Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. And that is about God's glory. It says in Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then it says again in Ephesians 1, 12, to the praise of his glory. Then it says again in Ephesians 1.14, to the praise of his glory. So as I was laying that out and looking at it, I saw, well, while we debate where, how, how can it be that God could choose some people as adoption uh, through predestination? And, and that's all continually debated. I'm not belittling it. Mm-hmm. I, I preach everything for what it says. But the bigger story is the fact that God is acting, even from his eternal counsel, to do a great and mighty deed of salvation for Jews and Gentiles that will be to the praise of his glory. So there's one of our five solos, mm-hmm. uh, the glory of God alone. So that's that the magic. The theme of the last time you were on the show. We yeah, talked we, talked about, we talked about We talked about that. In fact, I had been dealing with this material previous, I think, to that show, or at least it started. Well, that was, it. yeah, that was a year ago. Yeah, uh, so I think I was already probably in, into Ephesians oh, yeah. by then. well into it, yeah. And so that is very thematic here. Now, another 
point I think our listeners would be interested in. When I laid out sermons, I think I ended up with seven or eight sermons out of Ephesians 1, I was able to entitle every single sermon in such a way that the word safe was in there, Mm. safe or safely. The point of Ephesians 1 isn't for some people to get mad and think, well, God, how dare God predestine anybody unless he's going to predestine everybody and it's as fair and so on. That's kind of how people want to debate. They're missing the point. Yes, he does, but why? Well, see, in Asia Minor, one of the things that they were most concerned about was bad fate. A lot of the pagan religions had many processes, and more of that's been discovered with archaeology as some of these sites are excavated, that they were worried about bad fate, and they would have very rigorous religious processes they had to go through trying to defeat the bad fate that was going to get them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some people claim that they had made it to the some blessed status through rigorous uh, activities of religion and going into some chamber and what have you. That's very interesting in its own right. But they were worried about bad fate because they knew there were hostile spiritual powers that did not have their best interests in mind, which they're right about that. Ephesians 6 will bring that up about the armor of God. But what's in Ephesians 1 is many truths that that Paul has been given, because he's an apostle, given these by the Lord himself to reveal to the church that those who are in Christ are safe. If God indeed adopted us, look at verse 5, Ephesians 1, 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Many interesting things there, kind intention or good purpose or good intention. So God has our best interests in mind, those who believe in Christ, and he predestined us as adoption. What does that mean? We're not going to lose that status because of some bad luck or somebody puts a curse on us, or something that was in our past, because that's all now washed away by the blood of Christ. And so he has blessed us. It says in the very first verse of the uh, eulogetos here, the, the eulogy or the blessing of God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I did a sermon on this where I refuted the people will say that Christians are cursed unless they know the secret of breaking the curse <laughs> or figure out why they were cursed. It doesn't matter who wanted to curse you all. Everybody was cursed in Adam. Right. And everybody in Christ is blessed, and that's the whole point. So we're safe. This entire chapter is telling us we are safe if we're placing our trust totally in Christ. And that isn't saying how great we are because it's for the praise of his glory. Right. Okay. So I think verses 3 through 14, and you see the repeated words actually in the Greek language, um, is just amazing piece of literature that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's so well done 
There's some scholars think Paul couldn't have written it <laughs> because the Greek is too advanced for Paul. Oh, this would be more fitting for somebody like whoever wrote. Well, we know it's Paul Acts. because that three to verses three to fourteen is like three sentences. Yeah, we've got that very Pauline run-on sentence. Well, the point is, <laughs> and if people are interested in um, source criticism, which really kind of bores me because I believe that it is what it says. Paul right. wrote this, and he was inspired. He wrote some beautiful material here with very advanced language that lays out in a way that there's repeated sounds and phrases that are amazing. And so this is to the praise of his glory. So if you look at some of the ideas in here, it shows us before the foundation of the world. So we didn't somehow have something to offer, so God needed us. This is for his glory. And if we know anything about election, he chooses the things that are not. So one thing we know for sure, we had nothing going for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, he has a plan, a master plan, an administration suitable to the fullness of times, summing up all things in Christ. So this is not a random thing that you have to worry about fate because there is a master plan that's bringing everything to God's intended end to the praise of his glory. And everyone who believes is part of that. And God is there, and that's how the church should see ourselves the church are the people that are part of this whether they were jew or gentile now as we go down here and get toward the end of this section 3 through 14 it says in verse 13 in him after you also after listening to the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise there again we see this theme of being saved. Sealed means that God has placed his seal of authenticity. It's also a seal. The word for seal there can mean proof that there was no tampering. Sure. Yeah. This this is for real. This isn't tampered with. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's in, in that sermon that I preached on this. By the way, if anybody wants to hear these, uh, ggf.church. Yeah, and I can, uh, in the show notes, I can... Because um, I do the video of the sermons, okay, and I, when I post them on YouTube, I keep a a playlist going, so uh, I can put a link to the YouTube playlist, okay, so that people can watch. Um, it just goes from one sermon to the next, all the way through. Okay, so and it's updated every every time you preach it. If, so, if there's any one of these things that you find puzzling, troubling, or interesting, you want to learn more. It's all there, including the PowerPoints and how this was all laid out, mm-hmm. including the, t- the sermon titles about being saved. And so after this, uh, Barakah, that's the Hebrew, this is written in Greek, so it says eulogetos. Then he goes on and gives thanks and uh, um, his prayer for the saints, prayer that their eyes would be enlightened, that you know the hope of his calling. Uh, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and so on. Greatness of his power to those who believe. He's already brought about in Christ, raised him from the dead. There's our gospel theme. Seated him in the right hand, in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, safe, safe from the demons, safe from 
Satan. This will come up again in chapter 6. And every name that is named, now the name in the ancient world signified identity or authority. And so if he's above every name that is named, that means he has the greatest authority that there can be. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in Christ, you're safe. Then it says he put all things in subjection under his feet. There's a passage here that people wonder about. And the New Apostolic Reformation takes this and runs with it in okay. a false way. 22 and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. All right, they say, well, see, Christ can't do any of these things. We have to. And the church has got his headship. And so the, the headship on the earth is the churches. And the church has to subjugate everybody and everything. The dominion theology. Some uh, versions of this claim that the church is going to defeat Antichrist during the tribulation. Mm-hmm. And, and they run with this. Well, I dealt with that in a sermon. There's a dative in the Greek. And dative is the case of indirect object. And two is one way of of saying that dative. But another way is, uh, and uh, Clinton Arnold, who has a good commentary on this, says it should be translated for the church. And that fits the context. Yeah, well, I was just reading over here. I've got this up on uh, Logos on the screen as you're talking. and So I'm trying to follow along here. And he says in verse 22 here, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things. It doesn't say gave him and gave them to be head over all things. No, it, it doesn't. It, no, they twist that around. Right. So we're in Christ. He's over all things. Right. We're safe in him. I, that's pretty clear here, isn't my Well, it, it is clear, but <laughs> don't tell the New Apostolic Reformation because sure. they don't. They have their own plan. Mm-hmm. Their Their song is how great we are. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... Um, that's chapter one. It kind of sets the stage of why this is important and how glorious God is and what he's done and why we can be part of his eternal plan sure. by faith in Christ through the gospel. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then... And, we, and, and we're setting ourselves up to, to the, that one new man. That is, it turned out to be the theme. That's mm-hmm. what's interesting to me. Starting into Ephesians, reading it, looking at, choosing the resources I thought would be the best to use. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it, speaking of resources, when we're done, I, I don't want to talk about this in in the in the discussion here. But when we're done, I, I'd like to get those resources from you, and I'll put those in the show notes. Okay, like the your your favorite commentaries. Oh, and sure. What I'll, you use and stuff. So, uh, echoesaway.com slash one forty two. If you're interested in the yeah, the I'll, commentaries. I'll tell people what are some really great ones I found after. I've got a bunch of them, and then it ends up there's two or three that are just so much okay. better. Than or if you don't mind, just mention quick. Well, then people don't my have fa- to go My to the favorite website. by far is Clinton Arnold. Okay. Because he understands Asia Minor and the whole issue of the hostile powers. Okay. And his work on about Colossae helped me a lot when I was preaching through uh, Colossians. Sure. So Clinton Arnold has a great commentary. It's in the Zondervan series. And then Harold Honer is very exhaustive, really deals it with the Greek in okay. great detail. So those are my two favorite. Okay. Harold Honer, Clinton Arnold. 
I will, uh, well, we'll get into more detail and then I'll put that in the show notes. Good. For additional resources. So what was interesting to me as I just was preaching through this over a year and a half, however long it's been, mm-hmm. a couple of years, how important the one new man became thematically. And I think we missed that because we live at this point in history a couple thousand years later. And I'm also in Sunday school teaching through Acts when it's my turn to be teaching Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And here we are dealing with Asia Minor and in the book of Acts, the big dispute whether the church is going to be two churches, a Jewish church and a Gentile church, which Paul was adamantly against. A lot of Acts is about making sure that doesn't happen. And so you can't read Ephesians without thinking about what happened in Acts and some of the things that are said in Acts. And you have some, Luke gave us some really key material in Acts, like Paul's address to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. So I talk about that some in some of my sermons on Ephesians. Mm -hmm. What was important that he talked to the Ephesian elders about? And to Paul, this key central place is this one new man, which is not a Jewish church that exists in its own way and a Gentile church that exists in some other auspices, but one church, one new man in Christ who is the last Adam. And that's essential. Is this? Do you see this as, uh, in, in a way, a refutation of like um, Hebrew roots or... Um, well, I, I would say or, that those who, it's not, I don't know if it refutes, Hebrew roots is okay if we're understanding it according to Romans but, 11. But the, I mean, uh, the... That we need to have a Jewish church for the Jews? Or or the, the Gentiles need to be almost Judaized. Yeah, in, I know, that, that would, Galatians refused that. Sure, yeah. And it's still out there. Actually, yeah. I, I talked to one of our CIC readers recently who's in an interesting quandary because she was going to a Jewish congregation on, on Saturday and then a church on Sunday that says the church is the new Israel and Israel's gone. <laughs> so she's getting pulled in both directions at the same time. And so we had an interesting conversation about that. And I was telling her about Ephesians and the one new man. The fact is that... Christ is the lawgiver of the new covenant. He's the prophet that Moses predicted in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Mm-hmm. And he's the one, in fact, this lady who was, had, um, called me about this, I, I told her and kind of walked her through the Mount of Transfiguration where a voice from heaven identifies Jesus as the, the one to listen to. Mm-hmm. And Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18, that God would raise up a prophet like Moses, so when he comes, listen to him. And on transfiguration, Moses is there, the law. Elijah is, is there, the prophets. prophets yep. And they both disappear. So the one new man is under Christ. And Christ is the lawgiver of the new covenant, and his, the law of Christ is found in the teaching of Christ and the apostles. And this comes up in Ephesians because we end up with the idea of the foundation. And that's important. It's in Eph- and so in Ephesians, the foundation is Christ as the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets 
as the make up the total foundation, mm-hmm. and the church are individuals built on it as building blocks. Okay, so that whole thing is another way of of seeing truths and aspects of what the new one new man looks like. And this one new man in Christ is going to be that way for all eternity. So we have all we may here on the earth during church history say, well. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with all that. I'm going to go over here and uh, say the church is Israel. The Jews have no place in it unless they want to renounce all the promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and just be Gentiles. And the Jews have a church over here saying, no, we keep Shabbat according to the law of Moses. We circumcise and we keep the food laws. Paul fought, if you just read the book of Acts, he went to Jerusalem to try to stop that, but he couldn't. They had a riot there. They didn't want him to stop it. And so now it's still going on in church history. So I would just say to our listeners, let the New Testament define the church. And Ephesians is certainly one of the central places to go look. And the law of Christ means that we can't... uh, mess around with what God did in chapter 1 here through adopting us as sons and putting us in the church with an eternal calling to the hope of his glory and say, well, we want to, uh, we'd rather be under Moses mm-hmm. or we'd rather reject anybody who doesn't have the same background we do. No, God decides who's part of it. And he does that through saving people. And and how. And how he does it is in chapter 2. Thanks mm-hmm. for bringing that up. So where did we all start? Let's just... Before we get into chapter 2, uh, um, if you don't mind, we'll take a, about a two-minute break. All right. You're listening to Echo Zoe Radio. Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report is a podcast providing biblical interpretations and applications. It is a ministry of striving for eternity and part of the Christian podcast community. We provide a biblical view of cultural events, discuss how to apply God's word to the Christian life, address issues that concern the church, and we even take some time to offer a correct understanding of those commonly misinterpreted passages of scripture. You will hear from great guests like Justin Peters, Todd Friel, Jay Warren Wallace, and Gabe Hughes. Andrew has the Rap Report Daily, which is a two-minute Monday through Friday podcast, and then the longer Rap Report podcast for more content. Subscribe to both today by searching for Rap Report on any podcast app, spelled R-A-P-P, Report, or click the podcast link at strivingforeternity.org. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Yes. Where did the members of this one new man church where they come from what the, what's their background well one thing they all have in common whether a jew or gentile descended from adam yep they're from adam and there's one thing is true for everybody in adam they're lost in sin they're dead they're dead they're dead yeah. in adam all die first Corinthians 15 22 mm-hmm. okay so ephesians 2 1 you were dead Trespasses and yeah. sins. It doesn't right? matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Yep. It doesn't matter how bad or how good your life seemed to be. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your gender, anything. 
you're a dead sinner. Nobody brings anything that they're going to add that God needs. He's going to work with saving dead sinners. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. One other thing is true for everybody. In which you all formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Sons of, by the way, is a Hebraic expression means characterized by. And so the gospel is something to be obeyed. Mm -hmm. So if you don't listen to the gospel, you're disobeying God. Okay, so we were dead, and we were, as dead sinners, under Satan. Even if you're an atheist, you don't believe there is a Satan. If you don't trust Christ, that's where you are. Okay? And only by faith in Christ can we escape from the spiritual darkness of being dead sinners under Satan. Asia Minor, whether Jew or Gentile, if you read Acts, one thing they agreed about was the reality of the demons and Satan. Remember, there were Jewish exorcists mm-hmm. that weren't too successful, and there were various people that were under Satan to show up in Acts. And the whole point of what God was doing is to show there's a way out, and it's through the gospel. You can escape. And so the building blocks of the church are all people that started out dead sinners under Satan, wherever they were. That's true for us. Mm-hmm. We were dead sinners under Satan. It says in verse 3, We all, too, formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Children of, as I said, Hebraic expression means characterized by every human being was under God's wrath against sin. I know a lot of the secret churches, they don't believe in talking about that if they even believe it. But we need to preach the truth. Mm -hmm. Every single person outside of Christ is facing God's wrath which means hell as the punishment. And salvation involves escaping the wrath of God against sin. And so there's a, that was the state. Then it goes on to say, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so one of the things that we need to develop in our biblical worldview is that Jesus has the highest place of authority and that anyone who is saved is seated with him, meaning we are safe. It doesn't mean that right now we have their his authority. It doesn't mean we. It doesn't mean that we're going to somehow rearrange the cosmic furniture, right? And tell what demon to be where. Yeah, and so I've talked about that a lot in some of my teachings in the Sunday school class. Um, We were looking at Jude and Second Peter. Frankly, it's not our business to run the divine council. God's in charge of that. Sure. The point is this that we're safe. This isn't um, proof text for dominionism. Well, we don't know what's going on. We can't see the spirits. They're there. They're real. Mm-hmm. And they certainly have our best disinterested mind, as some guy said. 
That's right. But we're safe in Christ. See, the pagans had all these processes, and you can see some of it show up in Acts, to try to scare away the demons. Josephus talks about it. They burned roots and things and used incense and smoke to try to scare away the demons. It doesn't work. You have to be in Christ. But it also tells some details that are most Christians know about, but it doesn't hurt to go back over it, uh, about what salvation is all about. It says in verse 8, Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Now, as we've pointed out the Gospel of Grace Fellowship, both Eric and I, uh, it is the gift. It's, it's referring back to both the grace and faith. Salvation as a whole is a gift of God. We don't conjure it up. We didn't deserve it. It's something that God gives us. Faith is a gift, and so is grace. Salvation is the gift of God. Not the result of works that no one would boast, mm-hmm. for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the good works follow faith as God's purpose is. Now later in Ephesians, and I'm in that material now, I'm right now... And four in chapter five, uh, I may I don't at least in my studies I'm ready to preach. I'm in chapter five. Okay, okay, and we're dealing with moral commands of God so that nobody can mistake what is and isn't sin. Because some cultures define wickedness as something good. How about the culture we live in? <laughs> I listen to some of these politicians, and what are they saying? Good is evil, and evil is good. Mm-hmm. Their definition of evil is what the Bible defines as good, and vice versa. So that's why you need chapter 5, the end of 4, moral commands of God, to explain what are the marching orders as far as moral life of the one new man. Okay, so God saved us by grace through faith. It's not works, it's God's work. And... We remember that what we used to be, now it talks about the Gentiles in chapter 11. Verse uh, 11, yeah. Verse 11, excuse me, Ephesians 2, 11. It says in verse 12, Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Here's something that I, I know I preached about and I've talked about a lot of times. That doesn't even make sense until you're converted. Mm-hmm. Because before, all of that would mean nothing. Like, oh, poor me. I don't have to obey the moral law of God. Poor me. They don't see it that way. They don't want God telling them what to do. Right. And they certainly don't want to be grafted into the Jewish olive tree because the Jews have been hated forever. Mm-hmm. The pogroms are against the Jews. So why would you want to get that status, to be hated by everybody? But that's the way it was. But once you are born of God and saved, you realize how horrible it was to be separated from Christ, excluded from the promises of God. Okay? And so remember is an important thing. Notice remember is in verse 11, verse 12, chapter 2. The Lord's Supper is, in a sense, 
About remembering. A, re, a remembering of what mm-hmm. God did and a faith in the promises of what God's going to do in the eternal kingdom. And so now we're coming toward this one new man. Verse 13, but now, okay, so before, separate, we're not part of it, we're outsiders. But now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we talk about the blood atonement. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Prefigured in the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Mm-hmm. Okay. The blood of Christ was shed once for all, as it says in the book of Hebrews. And uh, all those who trusted him, God covers our sin, propitiation, and removes our sin, expiation. It's all here in Ephesians. But what does it do? Verse 14, here's where we get into the heart of the matter. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups. Both groups, who's that? There you go, both groups. Both Jew- groups, whether you were Jewish Jewish or Gentile, whether you were a religious Jew who kept law of Moses carefully, or you were Jew by descent, but you weren't too religious, or whatever, it's still a unique group. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made them both into one. They made them both in. To one broke down the barrier and brought and brought the, the them barrier, both there. The barrier of the dividing wall. Yeah, which was the law of Moses. I, I think a lot of people don't understand that, especially people who are trying to say Christians have to keep the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. Galatians refused that. The point of the law being what it was, a lot of those stipulations are there to create purposeful eccentricity. And the eccentricities that God established for the Jewish nation made it impossible for them to be absorbed into all the nations. Mm-hmm. Now the northern tribes ran away, said they'd rather be absorbed. But God, that's where we get the Samaritan, Samaritans. Yeah, the, the ones who intermarried. Well, plus, the, who knows where all the ten tribes went. But the Jews are eccentric. Because God intended that in order to keep the blood line there for Messiah. Going back to Genesis 12 with Abraham, that in his seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay, so now, so that was very precious to them. They, they paid a huge price to be who they were, hated by everybody, pogroms, awful things. And yeah, it's interesting you put it that way because you're you're talking about becoming one new man and being, um, being you know, in, in some places it's it's described as we Gentiles being grafted in, mm-hmm. and that, Romans eleven, yeah, um, it's kind of shines a little bit different light on on um, the nature of of the world, the unsaved world hating us. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says that he they hate us because they first hated him. They're we're we're grafted into that one yeah. culture that the world has hated since. Yeah, now the, the one new man is hated by the whole world. Right, and Satan riles up uh, hatred against Christians and Jews for the same reason. Yeah, because we bear the promises of God. Mm-hmm. Satan hates the promises of God, so that's what's going on. So he made both groups broke down a barrier, which was the law of Moses. Okay. 
So circumcision is no longer required. Food laws are not required. A lot of confusion happens about Sabbath, but it's really not confusing because Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. The term rest, by the way, is also a way of speaking about Sabbath. So you go into Hebrews, and rest is found in Christ. So according to the New Testament, anyone who doesn't come to Christ is a Sabbath breaker. Anyone who is in Christ is a Sabbath keeper, whatever day of worship they keep, because that's a matter of liberty. Mm-hmm. Not everybody knows that, but I'll tell you the truth right now. That's what it says. And For example, in Hebrews, where there's all this talk about Sabbath and rest, in the end, he says, don't forsake the assembly of the brethren. It doesn't even say what day it's on. Sure. In Hebrews. Could be on Tuesday. Those people who think that the church is the new Israel, why don't you spend some time reading Hebrews? And, and understanding it, or Romans 11. No, the issue is the one new man. Not a new version of the old covenant, but the one new man under the new covenant, under the law of Christ, finding rest in Christ, and gathering as we are able throughout history, throughout the geography of the earth, on whatever day we can. Mm-hmm. If we got some day when we get together and they don't kill us, that's a good day. Let's gather. All right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here. We're 45 minutes in. Wow. And almost thinking, you know, we talked about uh, doing four chapters, and uh, we're still in two. Oh, and, well. and I know one thing you really wanted to talk about, so I, I'd like to maybe skip ahead and, and so that we can get to it, was, was um, kind of solving some of some petty problems within the church okay. through this. And we see a lot of... Um, denominational issues come up all right why don't we talk about that so um well first of all what are some of the problems that you see that you think that that if they just understood this i just mentioned the one that came up with one of our cic i have a ministry called critical issues commentary Mm -hmm. and it's similar to what andy does but different way too i write articles and we do podcasts and youtube and all that so i've been i've been doing this since 1992 Okay, so I have readers. You're better at it than listening. I am. Much, well, I don't know. I've been doing better. it a little, for well, a long do, time. You, you do a lot of more scholarly stuff. Well, I, 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 I talk to scholars. I went to the seminary and spent a lot of time studying. But, so here's a lady, God bless her. Well, what do I do? I'm in one church and they're saying, well, okay, you're going to this Jewish congregation. You can probably... Uh, well, you really shouldn't eat pork, but, you know, being how you're really a Gentile, you know, that's the problem. And then you go to another one, and they're wanting her to f- sign something that says that the church is Israel, and the Sunday is the new Sabbath, so you have to worship on Sunday or your Sabbath breaker. And there are certain laws that apply to what happens and doesn't happen on Sunday, very much like they had Sabbath laws under the old. And so here you have, and then you have this throughout church history. Yeah a battle about this, and developing a system that tries to sustain itself through creeds, councils, catechisms, demanding that people take oaths, saying, well, we've got this all figured out, so we're going to set this all down, and nobody ever is going to get astray again because they're going to swear an oath that they believe this. 
And that's never, ever worked because people go astray no matter what. Whole groups go astray. Who grow, whole groups that sign on a dotted line have pastors that don't believe one word of it. They cross their fingers, take the oath, and get ordained, and now they got a parsonage and a, and a church and a salary. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that. When I was a kid, I grew up in a dom- denominational church that had gone liberal, and I had to swear that I believed certain things to join a church at 12, which I didn't... <laughs> wasn't my idea. And when I was at the membership training, I asked the pastor, because I was studying science, and he didn't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe in miracles. Well, how do you get ordained? Not that I cared, because I didn't either. Sure. So what good did it do? So I was just talking to Andy on Sunday, and I mentioned this. I really think a lot of these things that people are trying to do are causing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because if you define the church biblically, biblically, the one new man, saved, put in a church by God, whether Jew or Gentile, under the law of Christ, the local church is a gathering of such believers. Okay, and then we didn't get a lot of time to get to this, but we get to the building blocks, the foundation. We talked about that. And the, the whole church, Eric and I just did some uh, a podcast for CIC on the whole church is equipped for the work of the ministry. All right? Every believer, by love, serves one another. Mm-hmm. That's the local church. Now, what about the church universal? What about the translocal church all over the world? Well, here's something that's true. I was thinking about this after our conversation. I know this from my critical issue commentary ministry where I hear from people all, from all over the world. Yep. They're in all different kinds of denominations. But there's something that's true. If somebody is born of God and they know Jesus Christ and they're part of this one new man and they're being built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets is the foundation, the whole thing, and they're a building block, I instantly have something in common with whoever that is. Mm -hmm. Whoever it is. And there's something to work with. There's something that we have that's one. Because God did that. And these are the people we'll spend eternity with. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have a plan to get rid of every denomination or a plan to say, well, the non-denominational has to be better. I'm just saying, what is? And in my experience, the stronger the denominational eccentricities, remember the Jews are created eccentric, to keep people out, mm-hmm. the stronger the eccentricities, the harder it is for the one new man to have anything to do with each other. Yeah. And and you have something like this, this phone call I got where I'm going to two places and they're so extremely opposite. How does this work? I really don't think it should be that way. I think we should be able to gather in a local congregation and agree on the authority of Scripture, the priesthood of every believer, and get together and open the Scriptures and work these things out. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I know some people are going to strongly disagree, but I'm going to write well, a think, book about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it has kind of multiple, uh, there's reasons behind the division. Some of them are clearly malevolent, and, so, and some are people's best, you know, they've got the best of intentions 
it just doesn't work itself well, out very well. I mean, right, when, I totally when, agree. when you get two people that are both saved and they, they love the word and, and they want to study it and they want to, you know, they want to live it, they want to believe it, and uh, but they just see things a little differently. But what causes that more often than anything else? The traditions of man. Right. I'm not allowed to think any differently because I've been trained since a little kid. We're well, right because we are we. We're the right ones. We stood for the truth. Sure, but I we also see a lot price. of people who who kind of crisscross in a lot of different ways. You know, I like you, I grew up going to a, a it, it was a different denomination, but it was one that went hard liberal. Yeah. And um, clearly ne- neither one of us are still there. And, and I see Baptists become Presbyterians, and I see Presbyterians become Baptists. I see premillennial become amillennial, and amillennial become premillennial. Yeah. And, and, you know, p- people crisscross. You know, they, they don't necessarily end up where they start. But, but both are, are oftentimes driven by the desire to, to try to be faithful to Scripture. Exactly. I know that because I hear from people who say that. And people will go, if they can find somewhere where the pastor's preaching the gospel and they can, they're allowed to ask questions and they are studying the scripture, they'll put up with a lot of things they normally wouldn't because they're so hungry for fellowship. Okay? Yeah. And I've seen other people who have decades of history with a certain group that was faithful and they're heartbroken because their church went off and purpose driven or something. Or they're in those liberal denominations. Yeah, or they're liberal. or And so that's reality. See, as I mentioned to you Sunday when we were talking about this, uh, Andy, church history, there are no apostles and prophets after the death of the biblical ones. Mm-hmm. So there's nobody ever in church history, not the Pope, not the cardinals, not the councils, not anybody who saw the resurrected Christ, was appointed by him, and it's part of the foundation of Christ the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets. That's all biblical. Mm-hmm. So we believe in Scripture alone and the priesthood of every believer. So the Scriptures are still there, right? But there's still there's other areas where where we have um, we have some liberties. Sometimes people take their liberties differently. Oh, yes. you know, liberty. uh, you'll have um, you know Gospel of Grace Fellowship does communion once a month, and we've got other churches that insist no that we believe the Scripture says we should do communion every Sunday and. Well, anything that's not specified is within our liberty. So if a church wants to do that every Sunday, as often as you do this, do it, Paul said. Right. Okay? Uh, It's not specified on on a certain date on the calendar, nor is it as far as frequency. Mm -hmm. But we do gather in the Lord's name under the means of grace. Okay? But what... Uh, maybe we could say this. Having a robust theology that understands God's providence. Yeah. All of church history is part of providence. Providence contains good and evil. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not anti-church history. I, in fact, I took so many church history courses in seminary, it probably could have been a minor. <laughs> I don't think they offered such a thing. But I just loved studying it. Because a lot of the same errors just get repeated over and over again. Well, there's the value in it right there. Yeah. But see, providence contains good and evil. So we are always going to have to look at anything from church history in a discerning manner because it may contain good or evil, and we only know the difference from Scripture. Right. And so 
I am very suspicious of people who say, well, smarter men than us figured this all out, so we're yeah, silly. Yeah, that's not the right approach. Well, I've heard that. Oh, I know. I, I think we've all heard that. We well, hear that a lot. Where was the IQ test where they decide who was smartest? Mm-hmm. It isn't who's smartest. It's who's most faithful to the faith once for all handed down to the saints. Mm-hmm. It wasn't handed down to the bishops, cardinals, creeds, councils, smarter men than us, shoulders of giants. If you're talking like that, I'm sorry, you're really misled. You don't understand history. History is providence. Providence contains good and evil. We can only know whether what's something's good or evil through Scripture alone. And the, any lowliest believer anywhere, whatever education, can have a good reading of Scripture that's true and right and binding and question the Pope. Mm-hmm. Well, the Pope is not even Christians, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Somebody with high status with a big pointy hat. Okay, whoever... The, the people are. But what other issues would we encounter that kind of more about, about between people that we would consider more like-minded that I don't would say need to be? Whoever we are, make sure that we can, that we're allowing the Scripture to say what it says to us, whether it's part of our uh, tradition or not, mm-hmm. or whether we like it or not. Our emotions don't determine it. And I think that we should put whatever we do out there for scrutiny from people who have the tools. Yeah. They call it peer review in, in journals. Mm-hmm. Put it out there to adverse scrutiny and let people see if it's a weak argument. I want that. I want yeah. anything I say. I want it to, somebody to challenge it. Well, that's, that's consistently what I've seen throughout you know, more than 20 years as being a believer is that the, the, the stronger brethren are the ones that are not afraid to be questioned and, and to be shown, um, you know. Here's a weakness in your argument. Here's a weakness in your argument. Can you show can you show scripture that suggests maybe you're um, misunderstanding or, or miscommunicating what you. Right. I've you, always wanted, because I've gone through a lot of different groups and ideas but i want to understand the scripture in such a way that i don't have to be embarrassed about any scripture mm-hmm. that i can lovingly embrace everyone and what's forced me to do that is starting in 1983 i started teaching verse by verse through the bible and i've had to change a bunch of things because i can't stand up in front of the congregation and say well i don't like this verse i'm going to skip it or it doesn't say what it obviously says. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I have to see if it will incorporate into what I believe or whether I need to change what I believe in some way. Or maybe I need to say, I don't know if I understand this. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's better than that than saying, well, somebody 500 years ago figured it out. It's good enough for me. Yeah. I just don't like that and I, because I don't think it's biblical. Because unless those persons who did that saw the resurrected Christ and were appointed by Christ in the flesh and were personally taught by him, they have no more authority than any other saint. They don't. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I'm being brazen. I'm just trying to be biblical. You may all prophesy one by one. Let the others judge. 
both Calvin and Luther actually endorsed that sort of prophecy. I, I wrote an article about that, citing both Calvin and Luther. So Luther gave me the liberty to look at his doctrine of baptism and say, uh, Luther, you got that one wrong. <laughs> I understand why you wanted to give people assurance of salvation, because Rome wouldn't. But you can't let your emotions give you doctrine. But I love Luther. Right. But he was wrong on baptism. And I think we can do that with just about anything. And I'm not here to... But there's value in that, too, because, I mean, you're kind of emphasizing my point that that it's okay to be... When you're, when you're, when you're strong in your faith, it's okay to see differences in others, and yet... Right, exactly. Um, still be united in Christ as one man. Right. The one new man is still real. Mm-hmm. Whatever is happening on the scene of history throughout the world... And there's something that makes that uh, church, the translocal church, one. And the more we practice the authority of Scripture, the priesthood of every believer, we're learning and growing and getting grounded. And just view, I would just say to every listener, view church history for what it is. God's providence but providence contains good and evil. Like Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God intended for good. Sometimes the good in church history is that we see what was wrong and correct it so we don't do it again. So I'm not anti-church history, but I'm just pro-Scripture alone and the priesthood of every believer. So that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, well said. Yeah, we're uh, coming up on an hour and two minutes, so I was just going to maybe... Well, we didn't get as far in Ephesians, but I'm not shocked. <laughs> right. Um, but I think we covered the basic issues. And from the perspective of eternity, the church is God's idea from the eternal counsel of God in history before creation. The history, before the history of creation. Mm-hmm. In eternity past. Okay? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And this us are the redeemed who believe in Christ. And it doesn't matter where you're from or anything else. You were a dead sinner. The only thing you brought to the table was death and sin <laughs> and hopelessness. No hope. Without God, without Christ. Or as, uh, like Eric likes to say, uh, you stink, it, stink <laughs> up the place. <laughs> what, what do dead men do? They stink it up. They stink it all up. And so what we brought was nothing, and what we have is everything because of the glory of his Grace, and so maybe we should close on those three statements in the Eulogetas, the three through fourteen, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Amen. Well, thanks so much, Bob. It's always a pleasure to have you, especially in studio. Um, don't do as many in studio lately, but uh, it's uh, it's always great to have you. Well, it's great to be here. I only do in studio for for the critical issues because I don't know how to do the phone. <laughs> yeah. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. Well, that wraps up episode 142. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, uh, visit echozoe.com slash 142. 
Be sure to check out also the website for links to connect to Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to Echo Zoe Ministries. Help us also get the word out uh, by sharing your or retweeting your the announcements to your favorite episodes. And um, so, Lord willing, we'll be back in uh, March for the next episode of Echo Zoe Radio. <laughs>